0: the last few weeks we have been in a sermon series in Acts chapter 13 and I want to invite you to turn with me there this morning and just to kind of give a snapshot of uh, where we've been and where we're going for the next few weeks is that we have spent um, three weeks already, three Sundays prior to today in Acts chapter 13 looking at uh, the first intentional missionary journey in the early church. We'll look at it again today and for the next three Sunday mornings or so, and then leading up to November 10th, that Sunday, that Sunday evening, we'll have a missions night right here uh, on Sunday night, where we'll look back at a a window of 2013, and specifically some of the things that we as a church have been involved in, some uh, specific missionary journeys, missionary trips throughout 2013, and then we'll forecast ahead into 2014. Uh, to what God has in store for us as a church. But before we look at the word of God together, let's approach God in prayer. Father God in heaven, we're grateful for today. We're grateful for this time, for this hour. We're grateful that we have reason to gather, that we have a majestic one whose name that we gather in the name of this morning worship Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted through our time, and that you would speak to us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, just over a decade ago, a prayer guide entitled Operation World for the Nations of the World that's put out by the International Mission Board recognized the nation of Turkey as the largest unreached nation in the world. Few of the 66 million Muslims there have ever heard the gospel. But even so, God is working there, and the Christians, although a very small minority, are spreading the truth of God's word, and the church is growing once again. And in much the same way, nearly 2,000 years ago, in Asia Minor, or modern day Turkey, very few people had heard the gospel. But God was at work then too, preparing people to hear the truth of his word. In fact, he had called messengers, two men by the name of Paul and Barnabas, to be sent out from the church at Antioch in Syria to go into Asia Minor, to go into Turkey, modern day Turkey, and to share the news of salvation through Jesus Christ. In fact, they had been sent out. And they had already proclaimed the, the gospel message on the island of of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea. And then they had sailed northward and they had landed in Asia Minor, in the town of Perga, before then moving onward into Poseidon Antioch where they had gone to the Jewish synagogue and before a group of primarily Jewish people Jewish God seekers, God fearers as well as some Gentiles who had converted to Judaism they began to proclaim the news of salvation through Jesus Christ so look with me now at Acts chapter 13 because this is where we pick up this morning, Paul has just delivered this message, he has just given a sermon before these people in the Jewish synagogue that points to the fulfillment of God's faithfulness throughout the Old Testament in the person and the work of the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as we looked at that message, the content of that message last week, we said that the faithfulness of God led to the provision of Christ resulting in forgiveness and justification for all who believe. And because that's true, at the end of that message, at the end of that sermon, Paul gave an invitation inviting all his hearers to do just that, to believe that message, to give their lives to that message, to recognize that Jesus is Lord, that it was God's plan for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to come and to to be crucified as an atonement for our sins, and that by believing in Him, we would have forgiveness before God. The removal of guilt, justification before him. And so as we look at that this morning, we look at at what happened next. What was the response to that message that Paul proclaimed? Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad And honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing. And the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet. In protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I want us to see two primary gospel truths from this passage for this morning. And the first is this that the gospel demands a response. The gospel, the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, demands a response. When Paul proclaimed this message in Poseidon Antioch, and and we'll see as we continue, as as he proclaimed it elsewhere, people responded in one of two ways. One group was fascinated by this message, wanting to hear more and more and more about it. And the other group was insulted by it, angered by it, and wanted to have nothing to do with it. And in this way, the gospel is, is sort of like sushi. How many of you this morning love sushi? Raise your hands. This is, this is the interactive part of the sermon for this morning where you get to respond. How many of you love sushi? How many of you don't care what anybody else says? You are not ever going to try sushi. Okay. A good number of you. As well. And the rest of you are probably lying because there's not much room for middle ground. You either love sushi or you hate it. You either love it, it's like the best thing that you ever put in your mouth, or you're getting nauseous right now about thinking about putting sushi in your mouth. And in the same way, the gospel is polarizing. You either love it and your eyes are open to the truth and you are overwhelmed by the grace that God would show you by providing salvation for you, undeserved salvation for you, or you are totally repulsed by it, insulted by it, that you would even need someone else to save you, someone else to provide for you. The gospel demands a response. And all of us, along with all other human beings, past, present, future, all mankind is naturally bent toward pride. Mankind is naturally bent toward pride. Look at what took place here in Acts chapter 13. Look back at verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, remember this is after their message, after they proclaimed the truth in the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next sabbath when the congregation was dismissed many of the jews and devout converts to judaism followed paul and barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of god on the next sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the lord so these people are responding they're intrigued by the message that they're hearing, so much so that they invite Paul and Barnabas back the following Sabbath to, to share again. But even so, they're, they're so overwhelmed by it that they can't wait a week. They begin to follow Paul and Barnabas around, hoping that they can hear more about this message. And then the next Sabbath comes, and nearly the whole city gathers to hear this message. They come back, they've told their friends. The synagogue, no doubt, fills up. is overflowing in in a city that was predominantly Gentile. This means that the next Sabbath, the synagogue would have been filled with predominantly Gentile people, predominantly pagans, some that have converted outwardly to Judaism, but others that no doubt had not. As you can imagine, this, this upset, this angered, The devout Jews. Look at their response in verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. The Jews were angry because all of a sudden they were being told that they were in the wrong. They were jealous because... The message of salvation and hope was now being equally shared with with pagans all around them. After all, they were the ones who spent their lives seeking God, desiring to honor God and be obedient to Him and to worship Him. Now all of a sudden, they're on equal footing with everyone else. And the good news of salvation in, in Christ is being offered to others. Their status was under attack. They were no longer being regarded as the elite, as the ones that were deserving of God's special favor because the truth was that all were equally in need of God. The truth is that the Jews needed Christ and the Gentiles needed Christ. All people need Christ. Their mentality, their attitude was like the attitude of the older son in the parable of the prodigal son who became angry, became jealous, whose pride was revealed, was shown when, when his rebellious brother came home and his father wanted to throw him a feast and celebrate on his behalf and show him great favor and great grace. According to the older brother, he was the one. He was the one that deserved to be celebrated. He was the one that deserved to be honored. After all, he was the one that had sought to obey his older father. His pride got the best of him. And likewise, the pride of these Jews got the best of them. And in verse 50, they were so upset that they went and incited the the wealthy people in the city perhaps even the non-religious people, the ones that had the power, the ones that had the control. And through them, they stirred up persecution against these two, Paul and Barnabas, and had them expelled from the region. They weren't just rejecting the message, but they were so upset about it. They were so angered about it. They were so filled with jealousy over it that they were working actively to oppose it. Church, you cannot be neutral in your response to the gospel of Christ. You cannot be neutral in your response to the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You either gravitate towards it because God has opened your eyes and you desire to believe it and to live in light of it and to experience the joy that comes from it, or you reject it, failing to realize your need for Christ. Either it's submit to Christ or you reject Christ. And this is where we have to be careful because if we're not careful, we tend to think that somehow we are, are better or wiser than others because we have, after all, believed this message. We've come to grips that this is the truth We're so prone to sin. We're so bent toward pride that we can even begin to think in such a way as that. It's in that moment that we need to to be reminded that God is involved in our response to the gospel. God is involved in our response to the gospel. Look back at verses 46 and following. It says that, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak The word of God to you first, talking about the Jews, since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Quoting this Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah that, that ultimately pointed to the Messiah, pointed to Christ, that it was Christ, the Messiah, who would be a light to the nations that would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And now that same truth is passed down to his followers, to his messengers, to his ambassadors who would be that light to the nations, carrying his truth to the end of the earth. Now look at verse 48. It says that when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And all who were appointed for eternal life believe the reality is that none of us are humble enough, none of us are good enough, none of us are gifted enough, none of us are smart enough to recognize our need of a savior on our own, and no one comes to faith in Christ without the spirit of God first convicting him or her of sin, so that their eyes are open to they're guilt before an almighty God, a holy God, a perfect God, and, and they see their need for the Savior. But God is a good God and a loving God and a just God and a merciful God. And, and His Word shows us over and over and over again that He just uh, does just that. And that, that's not always a comfortable truth. That's not really a self-esteem-building truth that, that we need God to convict us of our own sin and and need of Him, but it's a biblical truth. It's not natural to repent. It's not natural to, to recognize that we've done wrong and to want to apologize for it. And any of you that have spent any time around kids, you know this is true. Children hate apologizing to other children, do they not? For that matter, adults hate apologizing to other adults because it means admitting that we're wrong, that we've done something wrong. And something about that is uncomfortable because there is a bent in all of us toward sin, toward pride and toward self-centeredness. It's the same thing before God. It's not not comfortable coming to our Creator and recognizing that, that we're wrong, that we rebel against him and turn our back against him day after day after day after day, and, and that we're deserving of his wrath, his eternal wrath in a real hell. It's not comfortable. We don't want to acknowledge that. We don't want to admit that. But it's biblical. And praise God that he works through the spread of his gospel to open our eyes to that truth. God is sovereign in salvation. And at the same time, all of us are fully responsible for our sin and how we respond to the truth. And there's a mystery there. There's a tension there that is found throughout Scripture. And to overlook it or ignore it is wrong. And this has tremendous implications for us as we think as a church about our evangelism efforts and our mission efforts we're currently in a mission sermon series and this this truth speaks to us and how we approach that very thing because the reality is the bible teaches very clearly that it is our task to to spread the news of salvation in christ it is our task it is our calling to go and to make disciples of jesus christ to make converts of christ but But the truth is also that apart from the work of God through our efforts, there will be no converts, there will be no genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. And I don't know what that says to you, but to to me, that that is overwhelmingly comfortable to think that, that everything is not dependent on my efforts or your efforts. It's not my task to to cause you or anyone else to believe this message. It's not my task and it's not your task to, to convince others of the truth, ultimately. Your task and my task is to proclaim the message with a sense of urgency, to recognize that the Christ is the way and he is the only way and our task is to spread that message of hope and salvation eagerly, urgently, relentlessly and trust the results to god that's a comforting truth it is god that works through our efforts to to convict people of sin and to cause them to see the reality of their need for a savior and the result right here in poseidon antioch verse 49 was that the word of the lord spread through the whole region as the result of gospel was proclaimed and people began to to see the truth some believed predominantly gentiles there some did not believe predominantly jews but, but the gospel spread as a result of it the gospel demands a response and the second major truth that i want us to see from this passage for this morning is connected to that first it's connected to a positive response to the gospel By that, I mean that those who do respond to the message of hope in Christ, of salvation in Christ positively, experience a gift here and now that that others do not, that is not available to others. The joy of God's Spirit accompanies submission to Christ. The joy of God's Spirit accompanies submission to Christ. And so what takes place here is that that the Jews and other political leaders, the ones that have power, the ones that have their religious power and the political power in Poseidon Antioch are so disturbed by this message because the religious leaders have gone to them and and, and convinced them that this message that Paul and this guy Barnabas are spreading is not good, is not healthy to the overall well-being of the city. And the result is that these two men are kicked out of the city. They're persecuted, kicked to the curb, expelled from the region, What a tragedy you would think that these missionaries, these bearers of good news who had established the first church in Antioch and and prepared it to grow were now kicked out, no longer to, to come back, at least not legally. But notice the response, verse 52, the response, and the disciples were filled with joy And with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. These were the ones that had believed the message. These were the converts. These were the Christians in Antioch. These were the disciples of Christ, the ones who had responded to the gospel message, submitting to Christ, recognizing their need for Him, repenting of sin before Him, and giving their life to Him. And they no doubt knew what took place. They knew what happened to Paul and Barnabas. They knew that they had been kicked out of the city. And yet their response is joy. The joy of God's Spirit accompanies submission to Christ. Young children often want someone they can trust. Someone they know cares for them. Someone they know they can trust when they're when they're tired when they're sleepy and my daughter is no exception in fact one night this past week she was laying down and I guess lying down is the appropriate way to say that lying down and she was no doubt getting sleepy and and I was sitting there next to her and And she spoke up and she said Daddy I'm really tired I want you And by that she meant that that She wanted me to to hold her Or to put my arm around her to, To cause her To be comfortable To know that she was safe And that then was enough for her to fall asleep But as children of God we should also want our Heavenly Father. We ought to want God. And the good news for us as believers in Christ is that we get God. And in Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, you too are being built into a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. The gospel is not that we get a better life. The gospel is not that we will be more successful. The gospel is not that, that we'll never experience tragedy in this life or that we'll always have positive emotions or whatever you fill in the blank. The gospel is that we get that a broken relationship with our almighty creator is, is restored through Jesus Christ so that we can then approach God confidently, boldly through Christ in an intimate relationship with our heavenly father as children of God. And the spirit of God then takes up residence in us transforming us, giving us a new outlook on everything, on life, because the joy of God's Spirit is with us wherever we go and, and whatever we do and, and whatever we face. In his book, God is the Gospel, John Piper has written that that if we do not see God and, and savor God as our greatest fortune, or our greatest treasure, our our greatest gift, our greatest good, then we have failed to believe and obey the gospel. Because the gospel is that we get God. Nothing else can satisfy like God, like a right relationship with God, like an intimate relationship with God, like the presence of God. The presence of God brings joy to the peace, the people of God. Nothing else brings peace in this life like spiritual peace with our Creator. Nothing else brings lasting joy despite circumstances in this life like a restored relationship to our Creator. The gospel demands a response. And none of us on our own will respond favorably to that message because we are so bent towards sin but those who do respond favorably to that message submitting to Christ receive the gift of God's spirit the joy of God's spirit in our lives and so based off of this biblical text for us this morning we might say that those who respond to the gospel by recognizing their sin and submitting to Christ receive the joy of God's spirit those who respond to the gospel by recognizing their sin and submitting to Christ receive the joy of God's spirit. A joy that is pervasive beyond any circumstance. Have you received that joy of God's spirit that accompanies submission to Christ? Or is your outlook and attitude constantly defined by the circumstances you are facing in this life. The gospel is that that God came to us in the flesh, that he was crucified for us, taking the penalty that we deserve for our sins, and that he was buried. On the third day, he was raised from the dead in accordance with the scripture so that we could be forgiven of sin. So that our status before God would no longer be guilty, but, but righteous. So that we would have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. So that the spirit of God would come and reside in us. and So that we would inherit the status of sons and daughters of the creator in his eternal kingdom so that we would enjoy his presence forever. That is a message that that we cannot walk away from as if it is no big deal. We cannot approach that message or respond to that message casually or neutrally. We either respond to it by believing it and giving it a life and living it with the joy of Christ in light of it and, and making every, me, every effort to, to spread that message of salvation through Christ to all that we encounter or we respond as if we've been insulted that we have no need of a savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are being saved It is the power of God The cross of Christ The message of the gospel Demands a response And those who respond Favorably to that message Repenting of their sin Recognizing their sin And submitting to Christ Experience the joy of God's spirit Both now and forever How have you responded To that message How do those that that you know are lost, how have they responded, how will they respond to that message? How will the lost in Turkey respond to that message? How will the lost in New York respond to that message? How will the lost in your workplace respond to that message? How will the lost in London respond to that message? How will the lost in Birmingham respond to that message? Church, will we give them a chance to respond to that message? Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for another day. We're thankful for the chance to gather. We're thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful that you have given us salvation by your grace. Lord, there is no greater gift. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond gratefully every day to that truth, that we would be reminded of it somehow, way, every single day of our existence. That you have given us life, that you have given us forgiveness, that you have given us yourself and your presence an intimate fellowship with you. Lord, a message that, that for those whose eyes have been opened and believe that message, Lord, we cannot, will not walk away from it the same. And Lord, I pray that the joy that accompanies your spirit among your people, the joy that accompanies your presence among your people would be pervasive here this morning, that it would be felt, that it would be known. Lord, that it would be known in us as we leave this place and so that despite the circumstances that we might face in this this broken world today, this world that is so affected by sin, that we would be satisfied in you. Lord, satisfy us in Christ every single day of our lives. Call us to be your messengers. Call us to be your people. Call us to proclaim this good message to all that we encounter, knowing that some will respond and others will reject, Lord. But but you've called us as your children. And as your children, we lovingly submit to you and worship you and desire to glorify you and spread your fame in this city, in this nation and across this earth for your glory. It's in Jesus' name.